Welcome to A Higher Branch, a source of practical and powerful information for busy people dedicated to boosting their personal health and professional performance. I'm your host, Sam McCall. Hello and welcome to everyone in our community. In this week's podcast, I'm running solo and talking to you about energy being your number one currency. Now, I define my wealth holistically and not just in monetary terms. And I believe that the number one currency in the 24th century is your energy levels. Now, it was Benjamin Franklin that coined the phrase, time is money, and that sparked the Industrial Revolution. And we started measuring uh, uh, money in time and time in monetary terms. And uh, I believe that model is now outdated uh, because I I believe that when you have high energy, you can create both more time and more money. So what is energy? And so I want to define what energy is first because there's misconceptions around energy. I think that your physic, uh, there are uh, four levels to your energy. There's a physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. And there is a symbiotic relationship between all four, uh, meaning that uh, one impacts the other or and one promotes the other. So most of us in the West think of energy in physical terms and we turn to the three pillars of physical energy and that's diet, exercise and sleep and relaxation. They're the three pillars and they are absolutely very important. But what we must uh, remember is that our mental energy is 64 times more powerful than our physical, meaning that mind over matter. And we scientists have known this for many decades now and And uh, so in other words, your thoughts can impact uh, your physique. Uh, As a demonstration, you can think about how many of you have often, say, visualized doing something or maybe biting into something like a lemon and having a physiological response. Uh, You start salivating. So we've known that the mind and and the thoughts uh, control uh, the body. Uh, But the third layer of our energy, our emotions, scientists are now telling us, that your emotions are 5,000 times more powerful than your thoughts. Uh, Your emotions being fear, love, anger, uh, be they negative or positive, can impact our our physical. And uh, so uh, we are no match for our emotions. It's very difficult to think our way out of feelings. So it's often a feedback loop. We feel something and then that um, that drives our thoughts, and then those thoughts start reinforcing our emotions. And that feedback loop can either be negative or positive. Now, the fourth energy is our spiritual energy. And that's one that's out of scope uh, in my discussion today and one that our community is going to hear about in the future because we have some incredible speakers lined up uh, for the year 2021 where we're going to do a deep dive into um, uh, spiritual energy and because it is something that we often dismiss, but it is becoming extremely important um, as there is a growing global consciousness uh, about our spiritual energy and the fact that we are co-creators and we have that built-in intelligence inside of us. And if we tap into that uh, spiritual energy, then there is 
um, virtually an unlimited amount of energy and an unlimited uh, potential in that quantum field. So I don't want to talk about that any further. I, I really want to focus on the physical, mental and emotional uh, energies. And so time per- permitting, I'm going to go through the physical with you today. And if we have time, I'm going to go into the mental and emotional. But if I don't, then I like to keep these podcasts under 60 minutes um, uh, um, because I myself uh, listen to podcasts and in my commute, I generally don't like anything over 60 minutes. In fact, I prefer something around 45 minutes because I want to not just honor you with great content, but I also want to respect your time and give you podcasts that are clear and concise and uh, take you on a journey. So let's let's start um, this week's podcast with, with uh, the phys- your physical energy. So I'm going to take you through six physical lifestyle changes that have a him- impact uh, on your energy levels. And because there is no denying that um, uh, people who have more energy are more engaging and more productive, and they have an air of self-confidence about them. And th- their whole life tends to be, uh, just tends to just happen easily and naturally and effortlessly. Uh, and it, this is what athletes call hitting peak performance. Uh, so I believe these physical six physical lifestyle changes I'm just about to, uh, to go through with you will get you closer to hitting peak performance. And once you hit peak performance, then you will have ample time to get more done in less time at work. And that'll free up time for you to either exercise, spend t- more time with your partner, with your kids, with your friends, socializing, you know, doing life and having more fun in life because we because we lack optimal performance we tend to spend all our energy at work and have nothing left over for our personal life and that is just not the way to live so let's go through these six physical lifestyle uh, changes and look most of you would know that I've talked about um, some of these things in previous podcasts, but I do want to reiterate them and give you my take on some of these tips because in previous podcasts, um, it's been other experts that have given their um, uh, their opinion and uh, their advice. And uh, so the first, I think, critical lifestyle ch- change you need to make uh, relates to your sleep and your sleep performance. I believe that is more important than... Uh, any other physical protocol, more important than diet, more important than exercise. I consider sleep to be the number one superpower that you have to boost your energy levels and your cognitive performance and it will make you sharper. In fact, I think it makes you even more attractive. Uh, It will improve your emotional well-being. In fact, uh, um, research shows now that it is, uh, they used to think that it was anxiety, that anxiety and unhappiness or depression causes insomnia. But now the research is showing that the, uh, the, the, that negative loop between sleep, insomnia, and anxiety, in fact, starts with the lack of sleep. So it's the lack of sleep that causes you to uh, be irritable and um, that becomes a mood and then a mood over time becomes a temperament and then a temperament over many months um, leads uh, a negative temperament leads to anxiety, which then there's a spiral downwards and with anxiety comes insomnia. So I think that's the first domino to fall. So it's absolutely critical that you get your sleep performance absolutely right. That should be your number one focus when it comes to your physical well-being. So what is it about sleep that is so important? Well, when we go in 
to deep sleep, then we enter into a, a state of uh, what science has called autophagy, where we go into uh, basically a, uh, a system of self-repair. Our cells regenerate, our cells recycle, um, and every, all the information that's sto- stored in one part of our brain called, called the hippocampus gets transferred to the prefrontal cortex, which is a long-term, uh, a long-term storage part of our brain. So if we don't have... And that state of autophagy only happens when we go into a state of deep sleep. Now, uh, uh, deep sleep is something that you don't automatically go into. Uh, You have to have uh, certain sleep hygiene rituals to allow you to go into the uh, deep sleep. So before I get into those, I want to explain the basic three layers or the the three levels of sleep that we go into uh, uh, when we go to sleep. And it's deep sleep and REM sleep that are the most critical. But there's also light sleep, which we don't want to dismiss because science also say that that plays a significant role. But apart from those three le- uh, levels of sleep, I think the more the bigger picture is how much sleep are you getting? At the macro level, you should be getting at least six and a half to seven and a half hours sleep every night. Now, uh, most of you listening to these podcasts are probably business owners um, and you run your business by way of data, right? financial reports, you know, uh, reporting when it comes to um, uh, CRM reporting, MIS reporting. Now, why not actually track the data of your sleep? So I I recommend you buy a ring called the Aura Ring, O-U-R-A.com. And this particular ring gives you all the data you need to find out, you know, how much sleep you're getting. One of the surprising things uh, for me when I did get the Aura Ring is I thought I was sleeping seven to eight hours every night because that's how long I was in bed. But the Aura Ring actually told me exactly how many hours of sleep. And to my surprise, I was getting between five and a half and six hours, which was nowhere near enough. And uh, so that was a surprise to me. The Aura Ring also tells you whether you're going to deep sleep and REM sleep. So it breaks it up for you. It also measures through an algorithm the optimal time for you to go to sleep. And it measures your heart rate, uh, your heart rate variability, which is even more important. And with all this information, starts giving you feedback on the times you should go to sleep. So look, I do want to spend a little bit of time on this because as as I said from the outset, it is the most critical uh, health protocol, physical health protocol. So the three layers of sleep, when you first go to sleep, you're in light, uh, you're awake, then you go into light sleep, then you go further down into deep sleep. And then once you get into deep sleep, you linger there for a little bit, and then the body goes back to light sleep, then REM sleep. And REM sleep is critical for your creativity. It's critical for your powers of analysis and deduction. So uh, there is a lot of reason research around the importance of REM sleep. REM sleep is basically that that part of the sleep where you're dreaming. And that's why one of the uh, rituals that I've spoken about before with Alessandra Edwards and uh, Jim Quick is the ritual of writing writing down your dreams as soon as you wake up, because it is really important for you to try and remember what those dreams are. And um, you will note from my podcast with Jim Quick that that there are a lot of um, cultures that actually has, as part of their daily ritual, they sit down as soon as they wake up in the morning, drink their coffee and recount their dreams. And um, there is a 
very important reason why humans are wired to do so. Now we live in a case of constant distraction. We wake up and we go, go, go. So I suggest when you first wake up, you take just a couple of minutes to really wake slowly and remember your dreams. And um, so that's, I mean, without the aura ring, that's one way of knowing whether you're getting enough REM sleep. So when it comes to deep sleep, this is an area that most people are focusing on at the moment. You need to get uh, between one and one and a half hours of deep sleep every night for you to actually rejuvenate and repair. Um, and uh, research is showing that if you don't get enough deep sleep, a protein called B-amyloid plaque builds up in your brain tissue. And there is a strong link between this plaque build up and Alzheimer's and dementia. So there is no uh, surprise that the correlation between the increase in dementia and Alzheimer's and early onset dementia and Alzheimer's with the decrease in sleep. You know, 30, 40, 50 years ago, we were getting much more sleep than what we are currently getting. And it's time that we actually start respecting sleep, uh, just like how we respect the fact that you have to fill up petrol in your car to go forward. Sleep is that that part where you plug in and recharge and it's absolutely critical for your long-term health. So you need to take a long view when it comes to uh, your health and when you do take that long view you realize that sleep is critical because it compounds and over time it can either work for you or against you. It could mean the difference of accelerating your age. So if you're 50 you can look 60 or if you're getting enough sleep you could be 50 and look 40. Um, So when it comes when it comes to sleep the other the other point i want to make is that there is a symbiotic relationship between sleep and sunshine socializing and sex the four s's um i think that for us to get a good night's sleep first of all we need to eliminate artificial light at night but before i get into that and i'm going to talk about that but firstly the, i think the most important for, um, uh, factor determining good sleep and this is what all the research shows is your gut health so how do what what is it that induces good sleep and we all have heard melatonin as the hormone that uh, induces sleep at night now melatonin also plays a role in our energy production during the day but the melatonin has a role during daylight but it also has that role at night and uh, when I talk about artificial light at night I want to talk about the fact that light at night delays the release of melatonin and therefore delays uh, your ability to uh, feel sleepy and go to sleep and go have a deep sleep but um, going back to gut health most people don't realize that it is your gut microbiome or or the bacteria in your gut that actually produces melatonin and the only way that bacteria will produce melatonin and other important hormones like serotonin, which is the happiness hormone, makes you feel good, boosts your mood, is not prebiotics or probiotics and supplements. The most critical factor for your gut health is actually sunshine. Humans are solar powered. We have all these receptors on our skin and our eyes that receive the sun and through various neuropathways, they make that sunshine makes its way to our gut, to the gut bacteria. And that bacteria uses that to produce, as I said, melatonin and serotonin. So the number one thing you can do for better sleep is make sure you get more sunshine. Um, First thing in the morning is critical. So one of the 
absolute habits that I have every morning as I go outside. I stand with my bare foot on the grass, whether it's winter or summer. I watch the sunrise. I look in the general vicinity of the sun, don't look directly at it. But research shows that in the 45 minutes, looking directly at sun does not harm your eyes. And let just bathe your eyes with that sunshine. And knowing that there is all these chemical reactions happening all in your favor in your body, and it's happening in your gut. The second thing about sunshine is that my biggest tip is for you to eat out in sunshine and exercise in sunshine. Uh, So as much as possible, try and avoid going to a gym to exercise. But if you do, supplement it with at least a brisk walk or a jog out in sunshine or exercise out in sunshine. There's a lot of gyms that are doing boot camps out um, outside. One of the things that I encourage all my team at MSA National to do is to eat out in sunshine. There are also chemical reactions that happen uh, when we are eating out in sunshine that I won't go into, but it improves your ability, your body's ability to produce the right enzymes and stimulate the gut bacteria in a way which helps you digest your food. So sunshine is absolutely critical and it is the second uh, health protocol that you need to focus on, uh, second to sleep. So to, to demonstrate the importance of sunshine, there was research recently done by a team of scientists who went into a remote African tribe who um, basically lived in very in a uh, very primal way. You know, uh, they woke up with the sun, they went to sleep uh, with the sun, they didn't eat at night, they hunted, gathered. And so over a period of six to eight weeks, they fed this uh, African tribe junk food from the West to see whether there was an impact on their gut health. And they measured their um, uh, they took stool samples, measured their gut microbiome, they measured their energy levels subjectively, uh, their happiness subjectively, and their sleep patterns. And so th- they measured those four things. Now, after eight weeks of giving them junk food from the West, like packets of chips, Mars bars, soda, uh, you know, um, soft drinks and what have you. To their surprise, they found that that junk food did not impact their gut microbiome. It did not impact their energy levels, did not impact their sleep and their general happiness. So what they deduced from that is that these people were still healthy because they were actually living in tune with their circadian rhythm. Now, I've talked about the circadian rhythm previous podcasts with experts such as Mark Bunn and Alessandra Edwards. But this research shows the importance of respecting the cycle between night and day. We are not respecting that cycle if we are eating after dark. We are not respecting that cycle if we are blasting our eyes with artificial light from LED lighting, from TVs, from laptops and devices. That's just, it's just disrespectful to our bodies. And so... This African tribe, actually, even though they ate all this junk food that was given to them, they did not, once the sun went down, they sat around the campfire, uh, talked a bit, and then they went to sleep. They did not eat. And they still went about their um, uh, usual activities in the morning, hunting and gathering. They uh, still ate their normal diet as well, but they ate this junk food. It just goes to show, I'm not I'm not downplaying the importance of diet, but it is not as important as we think. Uh, it's the And I'm going to talk about food a little later. So number one, you need to respect sleep. Number two, you need to respect sunshine because it is sunshine that 
uh, improve sleep. Now, I also talked about socializing and sex. And, you know, it raises a few eyebrows whenever I mention sex. And it's because those four S's, sleep, sunshine, socializing and sex are all interrelated. And a lot of us are working late hours and not allowing enough time for us to wind down at home. So it starts with getting sunshine during the day. The second step is the socializing. And that starts, uh, it happens at lunchtime with our work colleagues, but it it starts at home uh, by getting home at a decent hour and starts with our family, with our uh, children, with our partners, with our friends. The importance of socializing cannot be underestimated because in the West, I, I believe we've lost our ability to have fun. We've lost our ability to socialize. We seem to be work, 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 and then now it's diet, diet, diet exercise, exercise, exercise. But socializing is more important than those things. If, if you look at the research done by all about people in the blue zones where people are living a high rate of centenarian um, that are living over the age of 100. Now, these people are not signing up at fitness first and going on vegan diets or paleo diets. They're, they're just adopting their normal diet you know they eat bread they um, drink wine and but the importance uh, to their well-being and why they're living over a hundred number one is they have a deep sense of faith but number two scientists found that they have a great social networks and they socialize a lot and so it's important that uh, sunshine and socializing happens first in the day because what happens after socializing now when you're socializing with your partner that is the social lubricant between partners when they get home. When you're sitting, when you have enough time to eat early, you know, put the kids to sleep if you have kids, sit down and have a chat together, either read together or watch your favorite TV show well in advance of going to sleep, I might add, and I'll get to that in a, in a second. It's that time, that slow time that you have together socializing with your partner that, that uh, allows you or gives you the, you know, the time to get in the mood and get intimate, whether it's having the time for a bath or, or, or meditation or reading together something that uh, allows you both to slow down get on the same wavelength because intimacy doesn't happen if you're not both on the same wavelength and the research shows now that 20% of couples are having uh, sex less than 10 times a year now that that is an alarming statistic and that is what is reported and I I would guess that that figure would in fact, in fact be a lot higher if people are in fact um, open and honest about uh, how much intimacy they're having in the relationship, and especially if you have kids. So look, for employers out there that are listening, I urge you to give your people more time at home. You know, the days of people working past, you know, 4.30 or 5 o'clock or whatever their uh, scheduled time is, they, they, that, that's, that's the dark ages. We need to move away from those dark ages of working because it's a false economy. If people are working 6, 6.30, 7 o'clock and then getting home late, the next day their cognitive performance is going to be compromised. Their sleep is going to be compromised. Their relationships are going to be compromised. And over time, this is going to come back and impact their work performance. Doesn't matter how resilient and tough a person is, over time the lack of sleep, the lack of sunshine, the lack of socializing, the lack of sexual intimacy with their partner is going to impact their performance at work. So this is something that we also introduced at MSA National. Um, you know, the, the, it's compulsory that you need to leave home. Uh, you need to leave for home 
at five o'clock. And if you're going to stay back late, then you need to get permission uh, because people need that wind down time. They need that three to four hours before sleep for that socializing, that, uh, that social lubricant, as I talked about. So that is the relationship between those four S's because what happens when you get sunshine, socializing and sex? You get more sleep, right? You have more better quality sleep. And that is the the relationship between those three S's and the fourth and most important S and that is sleep. So, okay, we've gone through sleep and sunshine and I'm trying to go through this in a a linear fashion, but you would have gathered that this is a non-linear subject. You know, humans and our energy is complex and we need to approach it in this uh, unstructured non-linear way Uh, but I hope I've given you some sort of um, guidance um, when it comes to the relationship between those four S's. Now the uh, so one of the tips that the top three tips that work for me when it comes to sunshine before we move off sunshine is I, I think everyone should wake at sunrise and it doesn't matter whether you're a night owl, you know, or a morning person. The the body the body gives you the the surge of cortisol and adrenaline as soon as the sun rises. It those two hormones spike, and if you ignore the and your body will feel it. Your body. Most people that sleep in are actually forcing themselves and they end up having a crappy morning sleep. They wake up groggy a few hours later because the sun's been up for a few hours and their body's trying to nudge them because our circadian rhythm, our body clock is such that, as I said, those hormones are surging through our system as soon as we, you know, as soon as the sun comes up. Now, there's a debate about when people should go to sleep. And I think if you're a night owl, then the latest you should go to sleep is, you know, 11 p.m. to 12 um, uh, to midnight and if you're a morning person you should go to bed uh, 9.30 p.m. to 11 p.m. So if you are a night owl don't try and go to bed early because you're going to sit there tossing and turning thinking you're an insomniac and then you're going to start associating your bed with uh, lack of sleep and then you get caught in a in a negative loop there. So you need to honor your chronotype as well and figure out whether you are a night owl or a morning person and there is a quiz on the Munich University website um, called the chronotype uh, quiz that you can do to figure out which one you are but most people intuitively would know so that's important because if if you are a uh, a night owl you should still wake at sunrise if you are a morning person then yes by all means wake before sunrise it's okay to wake before sunrise it's not okay to wake up after sunrise so there is a lot of um, groups out there that call themselves a nine a 5 a.m club or the 4 a.m club and wake up early and you know win the morning win the day now i I'm not a 100% believer in that because if you're a night person, waking up before sunrise is not going to be good for you. You're going to be missing out on REM sleep, which happens mostly in the morning hours. And incidentally, your deep sleep happens mostly in the first few hours of sleep. And that's why if you're a morning person, you need to go to bed early so you don't miss out on those hours of deep sleep. And if you're uh, likewise, if you're a a night owl, you know, you shouldn't be going to bed. Um, Even if you're a night owl, like some people say, I'm a night owl and I go to bed at 2 a.m. and they sit up playing, you know, video games. That's, yeah, you might be a night owl, but not that much of a night owl. And uh, you're actually doing much more harm than what you think. So night owls, 11 p.m. to midnight. When I say midnight, that I mean if you're in daylight savings time. But in winter, for example, non-daylight savings time, 11 p.m. should be the absolute latest. And for you to actually be in bed. Okay, so... 
uh, my first tip is to wake at sunrise. My second tip uh, that I mentioned earlier is eat and work out in sunlight. I mentioned that. The third one is controversial. It's don't wear sunglasses, especially if, especially in the first hour and the last hour. Now, some people say, how can you say that? I don't want to damage my eyes. Now, look, if you're out on a boat, if you're skiing, absolutely. You know, if you get a lot of glare, wear sunglasses. But most people wearing sunglasses, I see people uh, on my morning jog before the sun comes up wearing sunglasses. I mean, it's just, that, that's just a fashion accessory these days. You don't need it. And you're missing out on that. As I said, uh, you're disconnecting that neuro pathway with the sun hitting the, uh, the retina, the, uh, the pupils on your eyes and connecting with your gut microbiome. And it's, it's, a, it's important that you allow that natural light to bathe your uh, eyes. So they're my tips when it comes to um, sunshine. So let's go on to the, the third lifestyle change you should make is, and I touched on this earlier, is artificial light at night or Alan for short. Alan is a very bad person. <laughs> Must stay away from Alan. A lot of people are actually experiencing severe sleep disorders, anxiety and depression, and they're blaming it on maybe issues in their life. Maybe they're saying, I hate my job. When in fact, they're just really, they're blaming it on the wrong things, right? I hate my job. I hate my partner. My life sucks. My I need to change my hair, my clothes. Or they're just, they're barking up the wrong tree when it comes to why they're feeling unhappy. And sometimes it is, well, a lot of the times, it is just this one thing that they need to change. And that is eliminate artificial light at night. Get dimmers throughout your whole house, at least, at least an hour before you go to bed. Now, for me, it's two to three hours, but at least an hour before you go to bed, do not watch TV. Do not go on uh, your laptop. Do not go onto your phone. If you do, that is your choice, knowing that you are disrupting your circadian rhythm. You are disrespecting hundreds and thousands of years of evolution where we were not exposed to artificial light. So one of the other tips uh, that I recommend is to program your Wi-Fi to switch off at you know 8 p.m. or 9 p.m. For in my household, it's 9 p.m. And we go to bed at 10 p.m. And uh, I think with artificial light, you know, at night, that is something that a lot of you I know who are listening are probably going, this is a rule that you're probably going to break. Uh, but I want you to know it's a very important one that you're breaking. And if you have kids, uh, I think you need to be the change or you need to be what you want them to be. So if they see you uh, doing that, then you're hardwiring them to uh, to also uh, develop a habit that I think is in the top worst habits that you can have in your life. Actually, worse than a poor diet. In fact, um, when it comes to a diet, uh, dieting, and you know, I know a lot of parents dump on their kids for eating junk food, and they make them feel guilty about eating junk food. But uh, I just want to caution you that the guilt you're instilling is worse for the for your kids than the physical damage of that junk food. So don't say things to your kids like, you know, Sally, stop eating cookies. You're going to get fat or you're going to get sick. That is doing much more emotional harm than physical good. Uh, so you need to find other ways of um, distracting your kids. First of all, don't buy. You can't eat what you don't buy. So don't buy stuff and have it in the house. Uh, the second, be an example to 
your kids. Look, I'm going off course, but uh, you get the drift. When it comes to artificial light at night, you need to be a very good example for your kids. And look, people who do have kids, I know it's a challenge. You know, I've had three kids. It's tough raising kids. But you know what? The positive of having kids is that it forces you to be a really good example. So please, please turn off all artificial light at night, read, listen to a podcast rather than watching TV. There are other things that you can do. And one of the best things that myself and my wife do every night is we read to each other and it helps us, you know, wind down uh, for intimacy and more importantly, sleep. Okay. So one other tip before I move on from artificial light at night is there are a couple of apps that you can buy that you can use in case of emergencies. If you have that absolute urgent email that must be sent or that document that must be reviewed. There's an app called Iris, I-R-I-S, that you can download. And uh, that is a really good app because not only filters white light, but it also uh, stops that flickering from from your um, devices, especially your laptops. uh, Because that invisible flicker that you can't see, but you do see when you're watching it through a TV, I don't know if you notice, you'll see that flickering screen. That does a lot of damage to your central nervous system and it really uh, makes you wired and disrupts your sleep. The other app is called Flux, F-L-U-X, and that's a free app that you can download on all your um, devices. Now, I know notice Apple have got some couple of um, settings that you can use. The most recent one is a night setting where the screen goes black. Uh, yes, that's better but it's still not good enough it's still not as good as actually not using your phone or your ipad altogether okay now uh, the fourth thing i want to talk about the fourth uh, six uh, of the six lifestyle changes is food now i'm not going to say much about food because i don't actually attribute too much importance to dieting but there are some foods that i think uh, you should avoid because it impacts your gut health Uh, so for me it all comes back to the gut Uh, why and why is everyone talking about the gut as i said earlier that's where your uh, hormones are produced and it is hormones that influence our emotions and remember what i said earlier your emotions are more powerful than your thoughts and more powerful than diet exercise and uh, relaxation so uh, there are some foods that literally make you angry they make your your gut bacteria angry and these little buggers in our stomach they when they get angry they become inflamed when they're inflamed you've heard of inflammation that makes you know all parts of our body inflamed that actually exposes certain weaknesses in our body could be a sore tooth or a crook shoulder or a crook knee suddenly it flares up why is that happening because your gut bacteria are inflamed so you need to avoid foods that make you angry and i'm going to list those for you and these are the foods that everyone must avoid number one is industrial vegetable oil so foods fried in vegetable oil they're not actually vegetable oils they're seed oils so as much as possible avoid fried food number two is sugar found in soft drinks fruit juices pastries cookies cakes they really inflame your gut bacteria thirdly is flour and refined starchy foods pasta pizza white bread yes i love pizza and i know you do too it's probably my favorite food but you know what just you know have it once a month have it once every three months so if you're really disciplined don't have it at all because you know people who just say well i'm gonna have a cheat day it's like okay there's a fire burning 
And instead of putting it out, I'm just going to pour a little bit more fuel on the fire. Not as much, but the fire is still burning. That inflammation is still surging through your system and it ages you. You know, it, it spikes your glucose levels and your glucose levels, you know, literally cooks your cells and, you know, causes spots, sunspots on your face. It, it ages you. And uh, so it's flour and refined starchy foods and sugars that do that. The the fourth uh, food that you must uh, avoid, and I call these foods, it's loosely, they're not, I don't think they're even food, right? Is anything artificial, coloring, flavoring, preservatives, nitrates, MSG, anything artificial you need to avoid. So they're the foods that you need to avoid. Now, the second category are foods that some people need to avoid. One, uh, and I'll go through them, it's one is caffeine, two is alcohol, three is dairy, four is psychoactive stimulants like chocolate, five is gluten. Six is lectins. Uh, like glutens is found in most grains, especially wheat. Lectins is uh, found in most beans, lentils, soy, corn, cashews, peanut. Uh, the other foods that you, uh, some people need to avoid are nightshades like tomatoes, eggplant, potatoes, even goji berries are nightshades uh, and white potato or high histamine foods such as eggs, kombucha, fermented foods, avocado and even cinnamon. So how do you know your your um, intolerant uh, to these foods like some people thrive on dairy others don't some people feel really good with a glass of red wine and uh, or a cup of coffee and other people are highly sensitive now we live in an age where biotech is converging on infotech so you can have tests you can have a gut microbiome test you can have a hair mineral analysis and you can have blood tests and those three tests can tell you the foods that you should avoid and these tests are readily available now and I think we everyone in our society even your children should get these tests because you could be eating one food for years and thinking that it's doing you good but in fact it's doing you harm uh, so it's absolutely essential that um, you do those tests now the the next lifestyle change is what I call going hungry a lot of us are just not going hungry in fact a lot of us don't even get cold or get you know too hot like we're just living in this age of constant comfort and our bodies are just not designed for constant com constant comfort ironically it actually weakens us it makes us uh, less resilient it, um, uh, it it doesn't activate certain activities that happen naturally in our that should happen naturally through our exposure to cold through our exposure to heat and that's why you'll hear a lot about you know the use of saunas uh, to trigger that um, stress response in the body that actually rejuvenates you. Um, going hungry is a stress, but it's also rejuvenating. Um, uh, so uh, the, the other thing before I talk about going hungry is you would have heard a lot of people talking about the Wim Hof method and getting going into ice baths and having cold showers. Again, it's this. It's it's uh, from this. It's coming from the same principle that you need to trigger those primal responses in our body that keep us young and keep us tough and resilient and going hungry is one of them the other one which i'll talk about later is actually physical toughness and exercise that also actually uh, we talked about sleep triggering autophagy the state of autophagy where our body regenerates and repairs and basically reverses aging uh, so does high intensity interval training so does cold ice baths so does saunas and going hungry 
is important. So don't be afraid to go hungry. Don't see it as a stress on your body. A lot of people are scared to get get hangry, you know, uh, but it's absolutely critical because it's when you're hungry that your body body's systems of repair for all the organs and, and the tissues and your eyes and your hair and your skin, that's when they start working. And if we never go into that state of hunger, then our body, body never has a chance for that inbuilt intelligence inside of us to do that repair and re um, and uh, recharge so more important than what you eat i think is when should we eat when should we eat is during daylight hours and that is at at the absolute minimum that you should adopt when it comes if you don't want to adopt diets or eating healthy then when you should eat is virtually more important than what you should eat secondly is how much should you eat there is a tipping point for what the the energy you earn from what you eat is outweighed um, or cancelled out by the energy it takes to burn what you eat. So you need to stop before you get too full. Um, the third thing is how should you eat? And this is, I think, really important. We, it doesn't matter what you eat. If you can eat the most incredible plant-based organic meal, but if you are, in a, if you are not in a state of rest and digest, then you're not going to get the goodness from that. In fact, that food turns toxic in your body because if you cannot digest food in your, in your system, it actually ferments and rots inside your stomach. Uh, it, it's a horrible thought. So how you should eat is critical. You So if you get home from work and you are stressed, before you put anything in your mouth, you need to actually work out or meditate or do yoga, anything that gets you into that, or deep breathing. Breathing is, is really, the quickest way to get into a state of rest and digest or a combination of all those things, which is something that I do. So three of my rituals in the morning and three of my rituals in the late afternoon is a movement as in exercise, two meditation and three journaling. So when I get home before I have dinner, I repeat that cycle. I exercise, then I meditate. But with meditation, I do my breathing as well. And then after that, I sit and journal and process any feelings that have built up during the day that are eating me. And uh, and if there are any, after you process them through your journal, then you slip into this state of rest and digest. And so when you eat, don't have don't watch television when you're eating two don't have heated arguments over the dinner table and three if you are cooking the meal yourself prepare everything clean up before you eat it then go do all those rituals um don't just because when we cook we get into this state of speed and haste and then we sit down and eat it but it's best to take a break between you preparing the food and you actually eating the food now the sixth and last lifestyle physical lifestyle change i believe you should be making that is critical Critical is what I've called minimum effective dose exercising. Research is now showing that movement throughout the day is much better than doing a workout once a day. So throughout the day, especially if you're a person that's sitting a lot, you should make the time every half an hour to an hour to get up and move around. So I often do what's called Tabata. It's a four-minute exercise routine. Uh, Tabata is spelled T-A-B-A-T-A. There's lots of Tabata routines uh, on YouTube, and it's basically 20 seconds of exercise, 10 seconds of rest, and you repeat that eight times. It's four minutes. It goes quickly. And in fact, I do that minimum effective dose exercise before I eat lunch, before I go out, uh, out in sunshine. So I'll do that in my office, or if I get a chance, I'll do it outside. 
outside at a park. Uh, find anywhere. So, or if you are an employer, this is something that you can have as breaks throughout the day. They could be stretch breaks, walk, uh, you know, walking breaks. I, I'm not going. I, I do. I do manage a business where we're an office, and we can't deny the fact that working in an office environment is not healthy. So we can only manage that that unhealthiness by getting that break of sunshine during the day, but also moving internally. So we encourage our people to move a lot. Just getting up out of your chair, doing some stretches for even 30 seconds is important, but it's the frequency in which you do it throughout the day. The other thing is that you need to honor your genetic type. If you are a morning person, you should exercise in the morning. I exercise twice a day, minimum of 20 minutes each time. And I find that's what works for me. I think that is probably what should work for everyone, but uh, it's the type of exercise that is different to everyone. The frequency I think is essential for everyone. The days of saying, I'm going to exercise every second day. I mean, it's just too hard to keep track of. If you say, look, I'm going to exercise every day and you get into that ritual, then you're wired to show up. It becomes habitual and you don't have to think about it. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to journal about it. You just wired to show up. Um, so when I say honor your genetic type, uh, not only when you should exercise, because night owls should exercise later in the afternoon, but also the type of exercise. High intensity interval training isn't for everyone. Yoga and Pilates isn't for everyone. So if you are a person that generally speaking is uh, an introvert that likes calm and quiet, then things like yoga and Pilates are probably better for you. But if you're a, you know, gregarious person, extroverted, you know, uh, feeds off other people's energy, then high intensity interval training, swimming, cycling, uh, running uh, uh, are probably going to work for you a lot better. And remember that when you're exercising, you're virtually recalibrating all the chemistry in your body. It's phenomenal um, uh, to think that exercise has been found to be much more potent than Prozac in dealing with depression. So can you imagine the combination of sunshine, sleep, exercising, eliminating all those foods that make you angry? Imagine all those things combined and eliminating artificial at night, you know, uh, uh, eating when you're relaxed, not eating too much and eating during uh, daylight hours only. If you adopt all these protocols, we're not even getting to the uh, to the mental and emotional tips that I will share with you probably in a future podcast. Even with those things alone, you are going to experience a significant difference. I've coached many people over the years and I've seen results in seven days. Now, I've actually seen people go off Prozac. I've seen people com- do a complete you know, turnaround with their anxiety and depression from adopting these protocols. And people who don't get those results, I can tell you, people that don't follow those protocols, they say they do, but they don't. They're still on artificial light at night, or they're not meditating, or they're not exercising. In my experience, what e- the problem is different for everyone, but the solution is always the same. And the solution is as simple as those six steps that I've just outlined. So I hope it's been of benefit to you. The physical tips that I went through are probably commonplace now. There are a lot of memes out there on Facebook and and Instagram and social media generally that talk about these things. But I hope I've given you one or two things that you may not have heard of or maybe given it to you in a sequence that you can now start a 
adopting. And uh, if you want uh, these um, these tips in in slide format, uh, feel free to email myself sam at ohiobranch.com. And um, uh, whilst <clears throat> whilst you're listening, I also want to remind you that I have incredible podcasts coming up with more of our speakers from Upgrade Your Life. There is one coming up with none other than David Goggins. I have one coming up with Dr. Guy Winch and from and uh, ones from our regular contributors and some new speakers that we are also talking to for Upgrade Your Life 2021. And the theme for that one is an incredible one. But uh, don't forget that Upgrade Your Life 2020 is also coming up in January. The um, I believe that the uh, platinum tickets are already sold out, if not very close to selling out. But if you're considering um, this event, go to our website, UpgradeYourLife2020.com and have a look at the program, have a look at the speakers and decide whether this is right for you. And if you are on the edge of thinking, well, should I or should I not attend? I just want you to consider this, that January is the best time to hit the reset button in your life and make the change that we both know are necessary. And we both know are uh, changes that you deserve to live the life that you were born to live. I know that sounds like a cliche, but it's so true because we, you know, uh, often walk around. I see a lot of people walking around that are absolutely brilliant. And these are people that I know. And I think if only you knew your brilliance and discovered that brilliance by making some necessarily lifestyle changes. But I, I get it. You know, behavioral change, changing behavior is difficult. So at this next Upgrade Your Life 2020, the theme is vision. And vision is not just about having goals for the future, but it's about having clarity. And it's about having the framework and the tools and techniques for you to be able to initiate behavioral change. It's one thing to turn up to events and hear great ideas and then go home and forgetting and forget about them. You know, we experience that initial high and then we go home and then hit the repeat button. But at this event, why this event is uh, is unique is that all the speakers are working within a unique framework and that framework is going to be shared with every one of the attendees in the first hour on day one. So then whatever they learn from all the speakers after that first hour, they'll be able to slot it into that framework and be able to implement that change virtually from the next minute, from the next breathing second that they'll have. It will be an absolute eye-opener apart from the actual framework and the um, ability to experience behavioral change and identity change. uh, You're going to have a great time It's going to be an absolute epic social experience. Our speakers will be hanging around. They'll be breaking the bread with us, partying with us. And my team is excited. The speakers are excited. It's an awesome time in Sydney. It is the Sydney summer. It is the Australia Day long weekend. And uh, there's a public holiday on Monday. And the event is on Saturday and Sunday, leaving you with Monday to uh, process everything you've learned, spend some time with your family and friends and soak up the uh, Aussie summer sun. So again, thank you for listening to this podcast. And until next time, live consciously, my friends.